Um, when we go home today, <clears throat> you're going to get in your car or truck, whatever you got, and you're going to get on the road and you're going to follow the, the road home, the streets, and you will, you should, obey the speed limit and yield to what the lights are telling you and safely pull your driveway and go in your house and whatever, eat lunch or go to a restaurant somewhere. And in all those steps of doing that, you are enjoying the benefit of boundaries. Uh, you have the boundaries of the speed limit, which kept, keep, are supposed to keep you safe. You have the boundary of the road itself, certain lanes this going this way, certain lanes going the other way, a left-hand turn lane. You have the boundary of even curbing where pedestrians are supposed to be. And you enjoy, you didn't even realize it, but you will enjoy boundaries people are supposed to yield to. When people don't yield to the boundaries, people get hurt and bad things happen. Uh, even your house itself, it has boundaries. That's your plot of land, your doors, and there's layers of, 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 of you know, a perimeter. The Ten Commandments are basically a divine set of boundaries. And most, there's a mentality, a liberal mind nowadays that any boundaries is bad. Yeah. And any, any law is bad, even in the kind of the left-wing religious world. And it's not. God, when God says something, it's for our good. Now, we need to understand it in context. And in this case, Ten Commandments are a timeless set of boundaries. And we need them. And so let's look at the tenth one. <clears throat> and the idea today is we're going to look at we need to be keeping our desires in check. That's the idea today, is keeping my desire in check. Notice just one verse here, Exodus. Verse 17, the tenth of the Ten Commandments. It says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Let's read it together. Exodus 20, verse 17, begin. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Let's go to another passage. You can hold your place. We'll go to the New Testament. And let's go to Luke 12. Luke 12. Uh, Noah, could you go get me a little bottle of water, please? Luke 12, and just to capture a, a phrase that Jesus had said, Luke 12, let's look at verse 13, 14, 15. Luke 12, verse 13, 14, and 15. <clears throat> Somebody comes up to Jesus and has a little issue here. Luke 12, 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. Uh-oh, they're fussing over some inheritance. Verse 14. And he said unto them, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And Jesus goes on to tell a story. But notice Jesus says, verse 15, thank you. What does Jesus say to beware of? Beware of murdering. 
Beware of stealing. Beware of, no, he says, beware of covetousness. That's what he says. Jesus, let's go to um, Colossians. Go to Colossians 3. <clears throat> so we're talking about one particular issue, covetousness. In particular, it has to do with our desires, and we need to keep our desires in check. So Colossians 3, it says here, look at verse 4 and 5. Colossians 3, verse 4 and 5. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Lord, you have a better life coming. Your best life isn't now. Your best life's coming. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. It's saying, put to death the bad parts of you. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, evil, and covetousness, which is covetousness, Jesus says, to beware of. Covetousness, Paul says, is idolatry. You know, how, how many of us have had, you know, we've seen a news title lately. Anybody see a news title lately that says, Man, um, uh, man murders friend or something. Not a friend anymore. Man murders his brother in a dispute. Man murders somebody. Has anybody seen in the last month any news report of anything that says man murders or man kills anybody? All right, I have. Okay. Maybe I'm the only one. Uh, somebody gets upset and they person, you know, the, the caption is man murders neighbor or whatever. Man murders guy in a robbery. Have we ever seen a news caption that says um, man caught stealing from bank or stealing from work? We've seen those, right? Man caught stealing from his work. Man caught stealing on Good Friday, you know, whatever. <laughs> Um, we've seen those caps, man murders, man caught murdering or captured after he murdered, man captured after he committed theft. Have we ever seen something, uh, man guilty of perjury, found guilty of perjury? You're like, yeah, one of the presidents, Pastor. Yeah. You remember the night? Yeah, there was one. Okay, man, uh, in, man convicted of perjury. That means lying. Um, we've seen things. I'm picking on men, saying man. Man uh, uh, guilty of rape, right? We've seen these things. Killing, a title of a, a news item that says man was caught or he was uh, uh, apprehended for killing. A person was convicted of stealing. A person was convicted of rape. A, converse, a person was convicted of perjury. Does anybody ever seen a title, a news title that says man convicted of covetousness? Well, we see the four, all the four commands I just mentioned. Those are broad. Those are out there. Those make the news. Those make us say, that's a scumbag. Look at that guy. Those are things that are out there. Yet there's the 10th command. We've never seen that in the news. It's a subtle one. But what's interesting is it probably fed the other ones. A person, likely people who are very covetous, that's part of what feeds their murder. People that are covetous, that's what feeds their theft. People that are covetous, sometimes that's what feeds their lies. People 
people that are covetous and just inflamed with lust, that's what feeds a, a sexual assault. But that's not out there. But God sees that headline in my heart, in your heart. Covetousness is one of the most un... Um, you know, it's almost one of the more overlooked sins. And it's the last one on here. Paul called it idolatry. Jesus said, beware of it. Um, the word covet, look, so let's go back to the Old Testament. Go back here. We need to talk about this. Exodus 20, verse 17. Thou shalt not covet. Now, this is interesting. The word covet means, and we're going to get into it a little more. You know what the word means? Desire. What? Yeah. Thou shalt not desire. Ah, but it qualifies it. This just means desire. The Hebrew word, which I can't say, I can't even remember what it is, but I know this about the Hebrew word. Sometimes the Hebrew word is translated in a good way. Like, oh, God at the beginning of the, when he made the garden, before they sinned, he says, you can have all the, the these, these things that you desire. And he used the same Hebrew word. But he gave, it was a permissive desire. Here's your desires and the, that tree, that tree, that tree, that herbs, all that. All the things that you desire, Adam, you can freely eat here. He used that Hebrew word covet. That's sometimes translated covenant. See, it depends on how it's used. So we're going to get into that. The word desire means, or the word covenant means to, to desire. In the New Testament, there's a Greek word Paul uses for covet. And the idea, it's a picture, it's a word picture of somebody who turns upon something. And it means to turn upon and to, to fly on something. Yeah, we, it used, we don't have like, um, I was realizing in the last couple of years, our Black Friday has been pretty tame, aren't they? We just fly on our phone. <laughs> Nobody's showing up. The targets are empty. But remember when people were flying upon stuff? You know, breaking through, I gotta get this cheap, junky screen TV that's gonna break. You know, and uh, people are flying upon things. And that's the word in the New Testament. What is covet? It means to fly upon something and your, your passion with a passion to possess. Um, Paul called it lust in Romans 7. Um, and he also called it idolatry. Oh, let's ask ourselves a question. And we're going to try to define this and not just let it just, you know, go unclarified. Well, let's ask ourselves a question. In fact, I'll just read something. I, I was reading another author who wrote about the Ten Commandments, and he was also, I believe, a pastor, and he asked these questions, self-probing questions. Am I covetous? Am I covetous? So you can ask yourself this with me today. Am I covetous? And here's the probing questions he had. Do I have a growing anxiety about something I don't possess yet? Am I murmuring and complaining about, whether, uh, about the things that other people have that I don't have? Am I abusing uh, some of my credit cards? Am I hoarding what I do have and not sharing? Do I feel I could harm somebody because of something I really, really want? 
Am I forging a life that's intent, intended to glorify myself and not glorify God? Am I covetous? Those are good questions. Because you're like, well, what does it matter? Well, God said something about our desires. See, in a lot of the Ten Commandments is, I mean, it's some of its external actions. Jesus said all of it starts on the inside. But the way it's said in the Old Testament, a lot of it's in, in external actions. You know, honor your parents and don't kill, don't steal, don't be false witness and, and those things. But here it says, it says something that I could, be bra- I, could, I could be just like this and breaking the Tenth Commandment. You wouldn't know it. You can know when I'm externally breaking, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie. You can kind of discern that, but you can't tell when I'm breaking it now. So God sees that. So we think, well, God cares about my inner life. God cares about the inner man. And I want to please Him. So let's talk about this. Let's, let's talk about the, the idea of this command. And we're going to talk about it under the side. And I don't have anything else to put up here besides the verse. We'll, we'll mention some. But here's what I want to start. Here's what I want us to, how it should launch us forward. It's all based on this thought. Paul said in Romans 7, because you have the law. Paul said, law is good. And he explains it, and we're not going to dive into how he explains it, but he basically says, this is good for us to have these commandments. This is good. Now, we know, we just gave an illustration that the law, man's civil law that's temporary is pretty good. You know, we fuss over it, and, but overall, it's good to have some speed limits. It's good to have things that say, this is a lane that's yours, and that's not yours. It's good for everybody. Keeps you safe. Let's everybody know what to do and what not to do. The God's law is good. Boundaries that are heavenly absolutely are good. So let's see how, let's ask this question. How is this particular command, not of the whole commandments, we're going to tackle everything that God ever said, but how is this one command, this one thing, thou shalt not covet, where God's dealing with my desires, how is that good? Well, leave my desires alone, God. No, no, no. He needs to talk to this. He needs to talk to your desire, the little desire mechanism in you. And me, how is this good? All right, so let's look at some things. I'll give five points to to illustrate how it's good. Number one, we kind of already said it. This law is good in that it's good for the regulating of my desires in the first place. Now, I want you to listen really carefully on this first point. Again, we have desires. It's not bad that you and I have desires. And I want to say two things about those things, about having desires that we just mentioned. They need to be regulated. Everything in life, even good things, need to be regulated. When you go to air up your tires at, my son works a discount tire. You know, they have, they have regulators on those compressors. They don't let the compressors just go just like go with no they they have regulators to tell the okay the compressor the tank is full enough and when the pressure goes down it lets it fill up again pressure goes down it lets it fill up again and then even that air that he receives he puts in a tire he doesn't just like woohoo let's see what happens here no no there's a certain limit there's a spec that says this is what this this is the range this tire is meant for it's regulated and that's for your safety my desires, I have pressure in me. I have desire. It's okay. We're going to talk about that. But it needs to be honed in and regulated. 
So this brings up the whole idea that, oh yeah, I need to, I need to regulate my desires. And, and here's another part of regulating is this. This is important because I think sometimes we can, we can uh, dehumanize ourselves. Okay, watch this. There are desires that I am free to have, and there's desires that are forbidden. And there's the there's example of forbidden desires. Let's put it on this side. Forbidden and free. If you read in the Bible, God talks about having a desire for something. He uses even the Old Testament, same Hebrew word. Um, God says, using this Hebrew word, but it's translated desireth, the Bible even says of God that He desires the land of Israel. He desireth it, referring specifically to an area east of Jordan called Bashan. The psalmist said he desireth it, and it's translated that way. Elsewhere times it's translated coveted. The word desire in the Old Testament is used to describe um, a man's and a woman's romantic passions toward another in Song of Solomon. That's okay, desire, because it's a desire you're free to have in those boundaries of marriage. Um, he talks about it being okay to desire food. To desire, Jesus used a, something in the New Testament about desiring friends, about desiring God. I, so if I have a desire toward God, yeah. If I have a desire to have some friends, that's good. If I have a desire for food, that's good. If you have romantic desires, that's good. They need to fit into parameters, not just wide open, unregulated. That's a mess. Anything unregulated is a mess. And we live in a country that says, don't regulate anything on me. And look what it is. It's a mess. That's why God's boundaries is what we need. I need them on all these things. So, so what, because what can happen is, oh, no, if you, if you like anything, if you desire food, if you desire to be married, if you desire, just know it's all bad because God doesn't want us to be happy. We shouldn't covet stuff. No. See, the devil wants to flip things around. The devil wants us to be extremists. He wants you to be extremely, what do you call it, uh, you know, where you just deny all the human desires. He wants you to either be that, or he wants you to be extremely indulgent. He's an extremist. He always wants us to go one area to another. But God says, no, here's what I gave you. I've given you these natural passions, natural yearnings. You're a human being. You want air. You want to breathe out. You want water. You want to see. You like music. That's yeah, pleasant. You like those things. You like to have fun. It's good to laugh. These are good things, but don't let them go out of boundaries or unregulated or sin-tainted. And so as it relates to desiring something, you want to build a business, build a business. You, want to, you need to make some money to provide for you. Don't do that. It's okay to have goals. But he's saying that there's, so there's, so in the Bible, the bigger picture, the, using the word covet, the idea is that you're free to have certain things, but then there's forbidden things. This is talking about, and we're going to get into this a little more in another point, this is talking about just having this consuming passion that's related to what somebody else has already have, already has. This forbidden desires. He said, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. That is like, my house was pretty good until I saw theirs. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. I thought my wife was pretty good until I saw his. Thou shalt not covet... <clears throat> nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, his staff and his business. How come, I don't have, how come I don't have people like that? 
nor his ox, nor his ass. That's his tool set. Or in his transportation, too. He's got, I thought my car was good, but look. Nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Okay, so we'll look at this. But the first thing I want us to realize is that this command is good. Thou shalt not covet. Just go away with as we move forward. I have desires, and God gave them. But I need to make sure they're regulated, and I'm not just being covetousness, that I'm not just scowling and staring down upon what everybody else has, and I'm constant have this angst. That's, that's it. Number two, <clears throat> why is this good? This is also good for my relationships. Having this command is good for our relationships. For God to say, don't covet. In particular, don't covet your neighbor's this, your neighbor's that, your neighbor's that, your neighbor's that. The word neighbor means the person near you. And always being like, oh, oh, oh. If you notice this verse, is very relational. He's not talking about your neighbor. He didn't say, thou shalt not covet to build a business. Thou shalt not covet to work and have an honest... No, he's talking about interacting with a person. Being a covetous person. Being, having a person that's just passion to possess and, and this unregulated um, uh, drive can affect your relationship. If we're always coveting what our neighbor has or the person near us, it's, you, won't have, you won't relate well with them. It can get dangerous. It can get a little edgy, a little tense. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Go to Proverbs 15.27. Proverbs 15.27. <clears throat> I like to be at peace with my neighbor's Neighbor meaning anybody near me. I want to be at peace with the neighbor next to me. I want to be at peace with my family in the house. I want to be at peace with the people I work with. I, want to, I don't want a bunch of trouble. Well, part half of that is on my side to not be yearning after everything they got. Proverbs 15, 27. Here's an example of disturbing your relationships because of covetousness. Proverbs 15, 27. He that is greedy of gain troubleth his own house. But he that hateth gifts shall live. The word gift there is not like Christmas gift or birthday. It means bribes. So what is it saying? The guy, Solomon observed this. The guy that's like, he wants more gain. He wants this and he's, he's greedy. The idea, he's very covetous and he'll take a bribe. What does that do? It does not go without disturbing your relationships. You ever notice like in a home and everybody's like, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that's mine, that's mine. Didn't you feel like there's, like with kids, right? There's like this tension, right? People are fighting over stuff. Or people fighting over an inheritance. There's this tension. When Jesus would dealt with that brother that came and said, Lord, kill my brother, he's not sharing the inheritance fairly with me. And Jesus is like, who made me? I'm not part of the arbiter of this thing. And uh, you could tell the relationship was strained because Jesus saw this guy was driven by covetousness. Did you know covetousness affected a whole nation and a family with Achan? Uh, the children of Israel were to go into one of the battles and they were, not to, they were just to destroy everything and not take anything. And Achan was one of the Israeli soldiers and he went in. And, uh, and took, and he saw, whoa, some gold. 
I think maybe silver too. Ooh, nice. Some threads here, Babylonian garment. And he took it, and he even admitted, I saw and I coveted. Those are his words. And he snagged it and took it, and took it and hid it in his tent. What drove him to steal? What drove him to disobey? Coveting drove him to do that. He hid it, and it didn't go without consequence. The next battle Israel had, they lost a whole bunch of people, and it was not because they didn't have enough. And so Joshua's like, what's going on? What's going on? It's the Lord. And uh, the Lord told Joshua, something happened. Somebody took of the accursed thing. A cursed thing means a thing that was forbidden. So he took of a forbidden thing, and it had a consequence on his nation and on his own family. So Achan came out, and he admitted to it, and Achan and his family died. Being covetous, having this drive, i got to have more, got to have more, got to have more, that doesn't go without casualties. You should be driven for good things and driven for the right reason, to glorify God, not self. But he was driven, and it had a, a relational effect. David, his covetousness, what did it happen? Did it's like, oh, poor David, there he goes, he's got to do time and everything's fine. It trickled into all his relationships. David goes out, and he looks out on his, whatever it was, his balcony. He sees a woman washing herself when he should be out to war. And he looks, and he's just soaking this in and taking And then he inquired. He just did this multiple inquiries, well, at least twice. He looks, he stays looking, and he goes, hey, go check, who is that, who is that? He sends somebody, go check her, oh, it's Uriah, it's uh, the, the Bathsheba, the, the, the wife of Uriah, oh, go get her, go get her. So he's pushing this thing, and he's driven by his covetousness and snags this other man's wife, this other man's out to war fighting for him, and snags this other man's wife, and he has this uh, sexual relationship, this adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, and he, the results of this, Covetous, because covetousness is also called lust, Paul says, it had a consequence for caving into it. The consequence was he disturbed another family. He disturbed his own family. He lied, and then he had that man murdered, and then later on his own, there were some other consequences in his family. And so it's like, I got to, so here's, I mean, we can look at more. The point is, I got I to gotta rein in on myself. Or my own, my own family problems will be a result of how I'm responding to my own desires. And I can cause more chaos and more peace. There's a verse, there's a verse in Proverbs. It says something like this. You know, it's better to have just a, a quiet little meal of herbs and contentment than a house full of all kinds of sacrifices and finest cuts of meat, but fighting over it. Now, I like beef, man. I like fine cuts of meat. But it'd be better not to have it if everybody's fighting over it and go, yeah. It'd be better off not to have it and just sit down and eat your herbs and be happy and peaceful. And that's the idea here. Disturb your relationships, a covetous attitude. Number three, we'll move along. Why is this command good? You know, pastor preaching Ten Commandments and stuff. Well, this is good because number three, it's good for my overall well-being. I want to have a happy life. I want it to be as good as possible. Okay, so let's look at this. Um, uh, 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, look what it says there. It's talking about your mentality about money. What's your mentality about money? My mentality is get all I can and can all I get and sit on the can and get everybody away from me. No, 
Okay, so money, it's needed, it's a necessary part of life, but the love of money, that's a problem. The earning of it, but the passion, the love that I'm attached to it, that's a problem. So 1 Timothy 6, it says there, and I'll try to read the context. Look at verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6, 7, for we brought nothing into this world, certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich, again, the phrase will be rich, it's not predictive, it's, it's showing intentional. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be rich. It's not saying, hey, you might be rich as, as in a predictive. It's saying they who are determined to be rich, oh, you want that? Okay, then. Fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drowned men in destruction and perdition for the love of money, verse 10 root of all evil, which some have coveted after. It didn't go without consequences. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But, O oh, man of thou, O oh, man of God, verse 11, flee these things, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. If getting money, verse 11, relates to me, relates to some righteous end, relates to godliness, relates to faith, relates to love and providing for others and patience and meekness, then that's okay. But if it's like, I got it, I'm just going to pile it up, money, 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 then there's a, there's, he says you're going to fall into temptations, verse 9, and lust, hurtful lusts, which drowned men in destruction and perdition. So, I, I, you know, there's much more that we said, but you see the idea is that when I... When I'm giving in and I'm constantly have this covetous nature and I'm, and I'm always on this angst and I'm always eyeballing what somebody else has and say, well, I can't have that. And I'm, next, next time somebody else has more than me, I'm, oh, I can't have Man, this is so disturbing. I don't have any inner peace. I don't have the Philippians 4 that Paul says. Paul says, you know, uh, I had to learn. I've had to learn whatever state I'm in there with to be content. Paul, you know what Paul said? I've had to learn when I'm when I got a whole bunch, I'm abounding. I'm 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 I've got the bling bling and everything's flowing. I got a lot of cash. I got to learn to be content with that. And when I don't, I have to learn to be content with being a base that is being humbled and not as much. All everything and all things I've learned for whatsoever state I'm there with, be content. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He says that in light of contentment. And so um, I want to have that. This is good for my well-being, having contentment and peace versus a constant angst. Number four, two more points here. Why is this command good? It's good for my relationship with God. Let's go to Psalm 37.4. We're trying to move swiftly here, but I want you to get an idea of what the Bible says. Psalm 37.4 does talk about your desires. Psalm 37.4, and, um, and it's saying God acknowledges that we have desires. He doesn't dismiss them. But I think he's saying something here that's unique, where he says, <clears throat> this, is, this chapter is talking about somebody who gets a little uneasy because they see others prosper. And so he says, look at actually 37.3 and 4, trust in the Lord. And do good, so shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee 
the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Notice verse 4, again, delight thyself also in the Lord. As a consequence, as a result, I should say, He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I think probably what, it, what it's saying is, is this, is that here's the Lord and say, you know what? I love the Lord. I, I delight in the Lord. I delight in knowing the Lord, communicating to the Lord, fellowshipping with the Lord, worshiping the Lord, responding to the Lord, lining my life up with the Lord. I delight in the Lord. I delight in the Lord. I love the Lord. I want to know more about the Lord. I want to talk about the Lord. I want, to, um, I want other people to, to know about the Lord. I, I just delight in the Lord. I love the Lord. I want to know more about the Lord. I delight in Him. The Bible says, if you delight in the Lord, He will give you the desires of thy heart. I think as a person is delighting in the Lord, the desires that come up start to be what they ought to be anyways. And then He gives you those things. I can't explain how it all falls out, but I just know it's a promise there. So first job is, I just need to love the Lord. How about this? I need to be obsessed with God. We're obsessed with a lot of things. <gasps> That's what the nature of the great, the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all, that means obsession with God is safe. And when I have that safe obsession with God, everything else takes care of itself. This is, to, for God to say this, this is good for my relationship with Him because it directs me back to Him. Wait a minute, I need something. Can you imagine being a Hebrew? Thou shalt, he's saying something. Thou shalt not desire? What? What's he talking about? Oh, oh, okay. Desire the, okay, the other person, okay. Look it after, okay. Well, what do I do with my desires, says the Hebrew? What do I do with my desires? Wait a minute. I have a God who loves me, he would think. I have a God who loves me so much He redeemed me, brought me out of the land of Israel, out of the house of bondage. I have a God who's taking care of us in this wilderness. It shows us that God does care about our desires. God does care to provide for us. Let's look at another verse. Uh, Psalm 119, you're in the Psalms. This is a good thing to pray. I've prayed this for myself because, again, we're prone to be covetous. We can be covetous in a wrong way. Psalm 119 Verse 36 and 37, it says there about covetousness. Here, this is a great prayer. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. You know what, you know what incline means? Bend it. Bend it through that way. Push my heart in, toward your testimonies, that is, towards your word. Don't let my heart be bent toward covetousness. Incline mine heart. Unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Verse 37. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity and quicken thou me in thy way. Let me desire the things that are of God. Let me not just be always covetous and longing and lusting and, and just this, filled with this passion that's in a un, an unhealthy passion, inordinate affection. That's a good prayer. Let's go to one more, then we'll do our last point. Hebrews 13. Look at Hebrews 13. This is good for my relationship with God. I need God. I have desires. God, help me with my desires. Don't incline my heart to covetousness. Incline it to your testimonies. And, and I, I, I need you to guide me in, in what I desire 
in my life. Look at verse Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.5. He says there, let your conversation, that means your lifestyle, be absent of, without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. That means, he says, let your life, don't be like everybody else that's always hankering and angst and longing about all these, constantly, constantly have to have something else. Let your lifestyle, you're a Christian, you're different. Be without covetousness and then adapt with what you got. Be content with what you got until obviously God lets us improve sometimes, but be content. For he, for he had said, verse 5, for he had said, here's a reason to be that way. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. See, that's a good thing to, to keep in mind because again, don't we desire? Yeah, I desire. Well, God's with me, and He knows that. He's going to guide me through my desires. All right. So why is this good? It's good for my relationship with God. Last of all, it's good for my realization about sin and salvation. Let's go to Romans 7. Romans 7. One of the purposes of these commands is to show us that we're in trouble anyways, and that we need... Somebody to rescue us from ourself. Romans 7, Paul admitted something here. Paul has a confession to make. Romans 7. He says in verse, um, Romans 7, 7. Look what he says there. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is it bad to have a, the law No, God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law said, Thou shalt not covet. Ooh, Paul said, I got busted on that one. Verse 8, But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was was dead. When I didn't know the rules, I was like, eh. Verse 9, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died in the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, verse 11, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Verse 12, for the law, wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. And was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Verse 7 again, I had not known sin, but by the law. I didn't know I was such a covetous person until I started reading the Bible a little more. Man, but everybody else is like this. Do you know there's a psalm, there's a, a, a psalm that says, um, based, I'm paraphrasing phrasing it but basically it basically says the wicked brags about being covetous and he and he blesses other people who are covetous there's there's a in the culture of the world it's like it's okay to be like that but when you start reading your bible god's like you don't need to be like that i need to desire god in john 4 we don't have to read there jesus sat what a beautiful time jesus went around lunchtime with his disciples sat there in Samaria. And the disciples came. They were with him at this well. 
And then the disciples left to go get some lunch. Jesus is sitting there at this well, and they were near a Samaritan village, and a Samaritan woman comes, comes to draw water, and Jesus does a friendly thing in that culture. He speaks to her, and he speaks to her because she's a Samaritan. They had this bad blood between them, so to speak. Jews didn't speak to Samaritans. They looked down on them because they're half-breeds. That's how they looked at it. She, he begins speaking to her. He's like, she's like, why are you talking to me? I'm, I'm a Samaritan. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So he begins a good conversation just by being friendly to somebody that it's not expected that you would be friendly to them. That's a good point. We should be like that to people who don't expect us to be friendly to them. And he says, can you draw me some water? And that's when she was surprised that he would ask something. Oh, yeah. And then he's like, you know, if you knew the gift of God and who that, who's asking you this, he would have given you water that you'll never thirst again. And they begin this conversation. He's getting her attention. She's like, whoa, wait, you got better water? And he begins this conversation basically showing, beginning to lead her into the concept of you can have eternal life. I can give you something that's where you won't have to keep going back and going back and going back. You won't have to be thirsty. You'll live forever. You'll have eternal life. And she's like, whoa, give me that. I want it. I want this stuff. You have this. You have eternal life. You have this eternal, you have this water that'll, that, that'll, be, that'll have eternal life. I want that. And so Jesus couldn't give that to her yet until he made her aware of something. Oh, wait a minute. Go, go get your husband. By the way, that phrase wasn't about just getting a husband issue. It was about sin. And she's like, uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, yeah, you're telling the truth. You've had five. And the one you have is not your husband. By the way, living together doesn't mean you're married. That's what Jesus would say. You're living, but that's not your husband. And she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, you must be a prophet. Oh, yeah. That's what prophets do, right? She's like, yeah. And then she starts talking about, our father said we should worship at the mountain. You Jews think. And he's like, that's, that's not the issue. Well, you go to church. And so he had to, what I'm trying, she ended up saying, okay, okay, uh, I've heard about Messiah is supposed to come and he's going to tell us everything about ourselves. And he says, that's me. Whoa! She, the scripture tells about how she believed on him. She ran and told the other villagers and they came and saw him and they believed on him. And this woman believed on Jesus and trusted him as her savior, but not first without coming face to face with law. Ooh. She probably, maybe she never talked about being an adulteress. Maybe she never, maybe she had a covetous problem. She's, usually it's men that are always the problem with lust. Maybe it was her. Maybe there was this inner, I'm always dissatisfied, I'm always dissatisfied. Maybe another relationship will help. No, I don't know what her story is. Maybe they were just, she really batted five, bad, you know, five for O oh for five, whatever. Maybe they're all losers. I don't know. But there was still a sin issue, and Jesus had to make her aware of it. This command and all of them are good for us to realize, I don't desire right, and it displeases God. I don't, you don't, in and of myself. And that's why Jesus came, because we're misfits. 
So this command is good to help me see sin and salvation. Jesus comes in and says, I, you, you've sinned. My, my blood is the atonement for that. Believe on me, you're forgiven past, present, future. That's why we have this law. I think one of the things we need to, we need to ask ourselves is, what am I obsessed with? What am I obsessed with? When I was younger, I was obsessed with like some mortise across. I like motorcycles, dirt bikes. And I had it plastered all, not my ceiling. I did have some athletes up there. But I had, <laughs> I had plastered like a mag, motocross magazine. I had all these all around. And there's nothing wrong with motorcycles. But man, I was going way out there, way out there. And I was obsessed with it. And I realized there's better to be obsessed with the Lord as it says, love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's a great commandment. Why is it a great commandment? Because it's when I'm obsessed with the Lord, everything else I do will be, it'll be a safe thing. But when I'm obsessed with other things, it's dangerous. Let's pray and thank the Lord for our time.